2: Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve, fuel your body with the best, use our discount code elkshape 30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors, geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code elkshape 20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery, elevating the archery experience. Take a test drive with the Matthews V331 or 27 at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics. I've been partnered with Vortex since 2010. This company is awesome. They're American owned, veteran owned, they're based in Wisconsin. Their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Most of the apparel that I wear while training, scouting, and hanging out around the house is Vortex wear. Go ahead and check it out, and if you want to save 20%, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE at checkout, and you'll save 20%. New from Vortex in 2021 is their tripods. The one I've been using in the backcountry is their Summit Carbon Tube. And they're radiant carbon, and it also has a ball-leveling head, and it's perfect for rock-solid shooting. There is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime, no-fault, transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at vortexoptics.com. Hey, what's up? Oak Shape Podcast, Dan the Fitness Man here. What up? Hey, third week in September, bulls are screaming their heads off peak rut. Are you uh, Are you not satisfied? Is this not what you signed up for? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you got the wrong podcast. This is Elk Shape Podcast. Uh, We're in crunch time. At the time of this recording, I'm probably, hopefully, elbow deep in a big bowl. If not, I'm probably hunting, hiking, hardly sleeping, and giving every day everything I got. Today, we're bringing on a good buddy of mine. This guy I met at an Elk Shape camp in person. I think he came to my very first Elk Shape camp. Turned around right after that camp and I believe he went and killed uh, a couple of bulls that year, or at least two elk that year. Uh, dropped 20, came a CrossFit junkie, moved on his career to uh, working for Rep Fitness, who you're going to hear a lot more about as I'm working with Rep Fitness on my garage gym build here in Spokane. And there's going to be a lot of fresh content after elk season of building that out and basically creating a lifestyle for myself with an archery range and a gym all right, in my backyard, and uh, just have a si- you know be a simple man, and a simple man for me is love God, love your family, don't chase money, chase time, work hard every day in the name of better elk hunting, and life is short, so make your life what you want it to look like. Don't do dead end jobs, don't sacrifice, don't compromise. Same goes for elk hunting. Work hard every day. And at the end of the season, have zero regrets. So I wish you all the best of luck. Maybe you're changing spots, driving to camp, driving from camp. Be safe. Get home safe to your family. Hopefully with uh, a freezer full of elk meat. Without further ado, this is John Little, and you're listening to the Elk Shade Podcast. Dan. What's up? Just working. Uh Uh-huh. What's good with you, man? It's not even Friday. It's like Wednesday.
1: Oh, Well, um, let's see, getting settled here in Colorado, which is kind of nice. Um, that was a six month journey that, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad is now over. Um, yeah, I spent the weekend in the woods, took my daughter on a backpacking trip, which was, which was cool. That was kind of her like last summer hurrah before they went back into school and always good to get some one-on-one time with her. Um, how old is she? She's seven.
2: Oh my gosh, dude. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. We went four and a half miles back into the Holy Cross wilderness and, uh, she caught trout on the fly. She, you know, we braved the world's worst thunderstorm and like with no tears, nothing like that. I mean, it was awesome. She, she did. She just crushed it. Absolutely crushed it,
2: man. That's so like my daughter's seven. So I'm slacking. I've never taken my daughter backpacking at least yet. That's cool. Uh, Thunderstorms scare me, man, especially Colorado ones.
1: I know, man. Like we, we were camped right below this um, twelve thousand. twelve thousand We were camped right below Avalanche Peak, which is like a 12,000 foot rock wall. And the storm rolled in. And I mean, the, the way the thunder bounced off the mountains. I mean, I haven't heard that in a long time. Not since I lived here, you know, back in the back in the early 2000s. And uh, at one point, the storm was right overhead. And I mean, there was just a massive thunderclap and I leaned over cause I was nervous. I mean, we were camped in a, um, like a lodgepole forest and those things don't tend to do so well in heavy winds. Mm-mm. And, um, so, but you're, you know, we we're just in the tent and I leaned over and she was like, I was like, you okay. She said, Oh yeah, I'm fine. Leave me alone. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll be nervous for both of us. But it was, it was, like I said, it was pretty cool. She's, uh, she taught me She taught me a few things, that's for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. So how many kids do you have again?
1: I have three. Uh, two, four, and seven.
2: Okay, yeah. I knew you had that one, like, the you had the age where I kind of, I get to chuckle a little bit because I'm past two, and uh, I know how difficult two was, at least for my son. My daughter was an angel, still is, for now. But two, my son was a devil.
1: Mm-hmm. We're going through a little bit of that,
2: yeah uh what like do you have a is he a is he a boy
1: yeah i've got my oldest is a girl her name's her name's Clara uh and then my middle son his name is grady, and he's four, and then our youngest name is Griffin and he's two my my wife was pregnant with him uh while I was at the your very first elk shaped camp,
2: okay yeah yeah. Dude, two years old is a workout. Uh, yeah, uh, we I got five and seven. So, but I I don't know, man. Three is three is intimidating to me. We talked about it. I mean, the conversation was had, and the jury was not hung. We had a unanimous decision. We're good on two. Three though, three is a little bit of a not as scary to me because it's like, man, you've already had two. What's another? But how's it been for you guys?
1: It, you know, it, it's been really good. I mean, my wife and I, we had the same conversation. And um, I mean, after our second, we just kind of talked about it. And she was like, you know, look, I just don't know if I want to be done. And I said, look, I, I, look I'm going to defer to you. Like, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to, whatever you feel strongly about one way or the other, I will support you. Um, you know, I'm in it with you one way or the other. If you, if you want to have another one, I'm game. If you want to call it then, uh, you know, I'm happy with where we're at. Cause you know, we, like you guys, we had a boy and a girl. Um, if we had two, if we had had, you know, a, like two girls, for example, out of the gates, I might've thought differently.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Roll the dice.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was, you know, it's like, well, we're, worst case we get you know, three girls and you know, I'll be totally outnumbered and that's fine.
2: Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: but, but uh, that's not how it shook out. And um, she decided that, uh, well, we decided together that we're going to have a third and I mean, it's been great. It's been, It has been a workout. I mean, you're, you know, I think some, some of my coworkers commonly said, well, you know, now you're, now you're moving to zone defense. Um, which, which is kind of true, but you know, I think that, um, you know, we had, we had Griffin and Grady was kind of growing and Grady was two and a half when COVID hit, which is kind of hard to believe. So like we had a six month old, a two and a half year old and a six year old or five, five and a half year old, whatever. And because we were all crammed in the house, um, you know, school is closed, all that. My kids really learned to like be together and really be together well. Um, like they're they it's kind of amazing because I certainly didn't get along with my brother and sisters the way they get along with each other. I mean, we fought like cats and dogs and drove my parents crazy. And I just feel totally blessed that my kids are like genuinely friends, at least today. It may not stay that way forever, but today I hope it does, but you never know.
2: You never know, but you hope the you hope for the best. Uh So you you move we should probably do the official introduction, but let me try. Let me try it first. I so guys, I met John um prior to Elk Shape Camp. We'd communicated a little bit, and I can't remember somebody worked for you and was like, Hey, the I think you were the president or something. They're like, the president of our company is hardcore Elk Hunter and he knows about you. And that's, that's what I remember. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool or whatever. And then I don't remember who that was. You'll have to fill in the gaps. And then at some point or another, we communicated. And you came to one of my first elk shape camps, if not the first one ever. And that was in Spokane. And I knew you were in the fitness space, the fitness industry. And I knew you hadn't been exposed to CrossFit. And uh, I knew that you'd had some success elk hunting And just met you in person, and immediately was like, "Oh, this guy is cut from this same exact cloth, same material, same line, same inseam. This guy is just like me." Uh, And then we've just stayed in touch. Uh, You've you've pivoted a little bit in your career, and you've put down some nice elk, and you're just really relatable because you're a normal guy with an abnormal passion for elk hunting. What I miss.
1: Not much. Uh, not much. I appreciate the, the nice comments, quite frankly. That's, uh, that's, that's nice to hear. I, that's, that's largely how I think of myself. So I appreciate it. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, so just to fill in some of the blanks there, Harris Oktar is Ah, the the gentleman you're thinking of. And yeah, I, I had started, uh, following your video blog on youtube and was quite fond of your q a sessions where you know where guys were writing questions about elk hunting and you know picked it up so it's like okay well elk hunting and fitness together i mean these are two things that you know if there's two out of three things i spend time on the third one being family there's two out of three right here so it was a really natural thing to pique my interest you know your early youtube video video blogs Um, and yeah, Harris had the Northwest territory. And at the time I was, I was actually VP of operations for core health and fitness for about eight years. Um, I started in the fitness industry way back in 2003 and it just, you know, I I wanted Harris to drop by CrossFit Spokane Valley. We had a product that I personally felt strongly might fit in the CrossFit space um, just given the nature of its, of its design, although, you know, hindsight, obviously we know that didn't work out, but yeah, I mean, when that, when that first elk shaped camp came around, I actually wait, I actually waited up until midnight, the night that the sale went live because I had gotten to a point where, you know, i had been, I've been chasing elk with a bow for quite some time. I had, I had found some marginal success by marginal. I mean that I had had shots at animals had actually hit animals, you know, the unfortunate side of bow hunting, but I had yet to recover, uh, a bull, um, in, I don't know, seven or eight years, a lot of tag soup. And so I just felt like something needed to change. And when your camp popped up, I was like, this is it. This is money. Like there's no way I will not be in Spokane. Uh, for for this event, and so yeah, I waited up till midnight, um, jumped on it, and you know when I got there, and saw I think you guys were doing it was like nineteen three I think that night at the gym. You have to refresh yeah, my yeah. memory. Yeah, I, I I remember walking to the gym, going just absolutely blown away. Not so much by like the intensity of the workout or what you guys were doing. It was really the community and the camaraderie that I saw that I hadn't seen before, uh, cause I hadn't been exposed to what CrossFit was. Um, so that was, that was one piece of the experience. And then of course the next two days, you know, the content of the camp itself, but I left that camp totally changed, like changed my diet, changed my exercise habits. I mean, i had been in the fitness industry for 15 years. I felt like, you know, I've been in and out of, um, you know, primarily, traditional mainstream gyms and felt like I was in shape, but just totally opened my eyes to what being fit in the mountains and being fit for the mountains really meant and the training protocols that I was going to need to adopt in order to be ready for that. Uh, and, and, and probably the most prevalent piece was being that way year round, making that a, an actual habit year round diet, fitness, fitness, family, routine, discipline, and maintaining that work ethic versus, you know, jumping on a Stairmaster three months before the season and calling that, you know, getting ready to head into the mountains. I mean, that, that it, it changed everything for me.
2: Yeah. That's, uh, it's harder to get into, uh, elk shape than it is to stay, or maybe it's harder to stay in elk shape, but, uh, either way it's hard and the older you get, the longer it takes to get back into shape. So why not just try and stay the core, stay on the path year round? No, I love that. People need to hear that. We bring that up often. Um, Yeah. So right after camp, it was, uh, we, I think we, I think we were doing camps earlier in the year. I know we still do on purpose. We try to give uh, attendees as much time as possible to kind of follow the guidelines, follow the blueprint and prepare properly uh it doesn't make much sense to do an oak shape camp in July. It's why we don't do them in June, July or August. We just I I just don't like I just don't like cram sessions. I don't like cramming for a test. I want you to have plenty of time to prepare at a pace that, you know, this information will stay in your brain and and these muscle memories will happen, but you took that information, put it to work and then you had immediate success the following year. Uh probably well i'm getting them mixed up i know one of them was an oregon early season archery solo call in kill and you'll have to tell the story because it's pretty cool and then i know you and dylan were up to no good in montana possibly two years in a row um and had some great success there and then obviously we're gonna have to talk about arizona as well so take us through kind of the last few years your elk seasons
1: yeah sure so after camp um I dropped 20 pounds and went into, elk se- uh, went into elk season in the best shape of my life, literally. And Labor Day weekend, met my usual hunting buddies in Eastern Oregon uh, for for our for our usual archery season. And the way I typically ran, you know, my archery seasons is I would I would g- generally buy a uh, Eastern Oregon over the counter tag, and I would get off work on Fridays, drive four hours out East from Vancouver, Washington to, um, you know, my spot in Eastern Oregon, get in, get in in the evening, sleep for a few hours, get up the next day and hunt all weekend and come home on Sunday. And then right around peak rut, I'd take a week and a half off and, and, you know, and hunt wall to wall. Um, well that season I had, uh, hooked up with Dylan and I had picked up a, um, uh, Montana, big game general tag. And so mule deer and elk tag together. And so I was headed to Montana for, um, peak rut. So I only had a couple of week, early weekends in Eastern Oregon to get it done. And I, so I went out Labor Day weekend, um, went to kind of a new area and yeah, I mean, it, it, it was one of those deals where it, wasn't, wasn't quite expecting it to all come together. I hadn't seen a lot of elk. It was early season, no, no bugling at all. I had, um, I'd scouted this area that summer. So I was somewhat familiar with it and I knew there were elk in there. just hadn't seen any. And so right at dark, uh, I sat down in a, a small meadow surrounded by a lot of old growth, deep dark timber and just started blowing some cow calls and, this bull came in. I mean, he was on me in 30 seconds. He must've been within 50, 60 yards just in the, in the timber. Uh, Didn't hear me, didn't hear me move in. And I obviously didn't see him. The wind was right. And he came in and stopped probably 45 yards out broadside and with his vitals behind a tree. So I drew, I couldn't see, you know, I could, I didn't have a shot. So I let down, When I let down, he heard me and kind of busted, ran up to a hilltop, and bugled at me. So I bugled right back at him, um, and, you know, a bit of a melee ensued. I couldn't get him to come in, so I just decided to go to him and kept bugling the whole way in, so he'd just think I was an elk. And I ran, I don't know, 50, 75 yards across the meadow, knocked an arrow, looked up in the timber and he was standing there 20 yards from me trying to figure out what I was. So I just bugled right in his face. And he, (laughs) he, he turned broadside to display. And as soon as he did that, I put an arrow right between his right, right in the moneymaker. And he, um, it was dark. I mean, it was literally like last minutes of shooting light. So I saw him kind of wander off. He was pretty, uh, pretty slow. So, I mean, I knew he was hit pretty good. And then my buddy and I went back in the next day and, uh, ended up finding him and taking care of business. So yeah, immediately after camp, you know, found success early in the season. Later that season went to Montana, um, had a number of opportunities. It just didn't come together for us. Um, certainly should have, but you know, you know how things go. Um, year after that was COVID. So, you know, I'd put in for, um, I put in for Arizona just on a long shot. I mean, had, I think one point I'd applied for a couple years in a row. And so, you know, my strategy was swing for the fences because it just oh, didn't yeah. matter. You know, if I, I mean, you're just, you're hoping to pick up in, you know, a couple of those random draw slots. Right. And I did, I drew uh unit eight, which is just to the Southwest of Flagstaff. And, um, you know, like I think April, they announced the draw results and I didn't even check my credit card. Like I thought that it was, um, I, you know, I, it was such a long shot. I didn't even see that they build my card. And then I got the tag in the mail and, you know, literally hit the floor, um, and started preparing literally that day. Like the CrossFit gym, I joined CrossFit for Vancouver. We had pivoted to, um, zoom workouts And so I started doubling up, you know, I did a zoom workout in the morning and then go run five miles at lunch because we're all working from home. So I didn't have anything better to do. And, you know, took what I, you know, prior year, I said that I was in the best shape of my life. Well, by the time I got to Arizona, it was a it was a whole different ballgame. I mean, I I was just totally ready to go. Uh, I flew down there in July. I did some scouting, put up a couple trail cams with everybody else's trail cams um
2: how bad was that dude
1: dude it was
2: it was crazy
1: i mean it's amazing i mean the trees with 10 12 trail cameras stacked on top of each other on the same waterhole hmm. um i mean just just crazy i i've never seen anything like it i mean i know there's a bunch of controversy about the ban and all that but i can totally see why i can totally see why i mean and here's an example. I mean, you you want to go in and check your camera and there's a guy hunting, hunting the whole, you know, hunting the water tank and you, you're, you're basically disrupting his hunt just to check your camera and, or or vice versa. or you having, you know, I had my, I was sitting on a water tank one day, midday waiting for the, you know, the evening, evening to come around and, uh, had, had a guy walk up on me to check his camera and like, Twenty minutes before that, a cow had walked into the, the uh, walked into the water tank to take a bath. So, I could totally see how that activity is disruptive. Um, I was totally blown away. By it. Totally blown away.
2: Unbelievable. And I've seen the same thing when I've hunted Arizona. There's like water tanks right off the Forest Service road. Like you can throw a rock at it, and then you're before you get to it, you see this random four-wheeler kind of pulled off a couple hundred yards back and you're like, oh, that's like somebody's went hiking in right there or they dropped in right there and then you go a little further and there's a water tank, there's a dude in a ground blind as you're driving by and you're like, this is, the shit's weird.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just great. <laughs> it's a totally different ball game down there. Um, I mean, I don't like the infringement on, you know, quote unquote people's rights to you know put a camera up or whatever i think i think it's a fine line when you start making laws like that but and you know the approach they've taken i think is pretty broad i would probably would have taken a more narrow approach and you know maybe limited game cam use on wa- on water tanks like you described that are like right off the road easy access but you know if something's a ways in and it's going to require a hike to get there. And very few people are trying to access that water tank. I'd probably be less concerned, but, you know, exactly. it is what it is, I guess. But yeah, I've, so I flew down in July. Um, I had three days to scout and my, you know, my primary goal is really just to learn the road system. Uh, I would never set foot in the unit, get an, get, a, get an understanding of what the terrain looked like and hopefully try to find some elk um which I did uh and, and it gave me really a head start on a game plan for you know essentially walking into a unit cold a couple thousand miles from where I live um and you know whether successful or not at least I had a place to start and could continue you know to work work my way into the unit and learn more throughout the week I gave myself two weeks the yeah, I was gonna hunt the entire season in Arizona but I you know I, I made a deal with myself I mean unit eight was, Largely considered one of the top five units in the state, although many would probably tell you that it's not what it used to be, um, in terms of trophy potential, but that's really not what I'm all about. I just wanted to go to a place and be able to have a world-class experience and kill a mature bull. That was my goal is to kill a mature bull, mature six by six. And I made a decision that I was going to dedicate the first seven days of my hunt to that, meaning if a uh, immature, you know, raghorn walked out in perfect bow range on day four, I was going to let it go, which to me, you know, having finally found success the year prior on an Oregon bull was a, a well, at least for me, it was a big commitment to, to be able to make that decision and to, because I, I just really wanted to honor the experience and the opportunity for what it was. And it was crazy because opening day I went to one of the spots that I'd scouted and seen some elk and got into a friggin' bugle fest and had a five by six that I would shoot on any other day and any other season in any other place dead to rights at 35 yards raking a tree and I didn't even draw on him so you know right out of the gates I I got, I got tested in terms of, uh, you know, the level of commitment and, and what I, what I went there to do. Um, and it, you know, it, it, there's those points in the hunt where you start second guessing yourself. And cause like for the next three days activity was a lull. It was a really dry year. Uh, the rut wasn't necessarily, uh, what you would hope it would be. And so, I mean, it, it ended up being a pretty tough hunt. Um, day four, I finally saw what everybody goes to Arizona for, which is a big, beautiful 330 inch plus white horned six by six lone bull, uh, you know, no cows with him at all. And we, we did the dance on a mountainside for probably two hours. He'd come in, wouldn't quite, wouldn't quite get close enough or come out of the brush. Um, you know, he'd wander off and call him back in. Uh, just, just couldn't quite get it to come together. That same night, had another raghorn come in. You know, again, I had him dead to rights at, you know, 30, 35 yards, uh, passed him up. And after, you know, after five, six days, you know, your mind starts to wander. And I found myself walking back to my truck in the dark, thinking, you know, I need to go find a new location. Like the, the elk here are just not they're not what I, they're not playing ball. I need to, you know, I need to relocate, go try something new. And as I was opening my truck door, I started hearing bugles from the ridges above me. Yes. And I was like, you know, sometimes when it's supposed to come together, it just does. And I'm not leaving up to find elk. I'm coming back here in the morning. Cause there was nobody else around. Like I had this entire valley to myself. Uh, I don't know where all the other hunters were. Uh, I found, I kind of found out later that they were all frustrated and mad because they weren't where they weren't finding Arizona to be what it was always rumored to be, but I was into elk. So I didn't really care. Um, so yeah, the next morning I got back in there early, walked up, you know, hiked up to the one of the ridges where I'd heard bugles the night before and just immediately got into elk. Um, you know, it was so hot and dry. You probably had the first hour and a half to two hours after first light to really hunt. And then after that, everything quiets down. They pretty much go to bed. Your best bets to sit on water.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So I kind of knew I had limited time. And so that morning I really just spent chasing bugles and I just kept running into raghorns and spikes. I couldn't, I couldn't find the, you know, the, the main herd, so to speak. And it had to be in there because I mean, there were elk everywhere. I just kept running into satellites. So I was walking down the bottom of a, a draw on an old road and, you know, my mind was starting to wander. I was like, well, you know, back half of hunts coming. you know, maybe today's the day to go do laundry, get, get freshened up, re-energize and, you know, come back and start thinking differently about taking a bull versus, you know, the, the bull that uh, I really came here for. And right at that moment, I heard a bugle up on the ridge above me and I looked up there and I could see a number of cows were kind of moving in and out of the trees and it was an old burn. So it was pretty much wide open. I mean, I could see that, you know, some oak brush and some other stuff that had grown up, but more or less it was pretty open and I could see the cows kind of moving around frantically. So I bugled and the whole herd of cows turned and started coming towards me just, just on that note. And I'm looking through the trees, and here comes the bull. And he was going to walk above me at about, I don't know, probably 50 yards just up the hill, broadside, trailing his cows. I mean, his cows were coming to me. The bull was coming to them, following them down down towards me. So he he bugled at me a couple times. We traded bugles, and then I heard another bugle from the ridge opposite. And I look over, and his cows are now coming down the draw towards me as well. And I see his antlers coming through the trees and I'm standing there in the middle of the road, totally exposed, but you know, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter at that point because those elk were coming and I was at a certain level expecting to get run over by one of the cows. I mean, they were walking directly at me. So I looked at the bull. I I saw the bull. He was last in line. He was a little, he, I could tell he was nervous because his cat, there was another bull right across the, Right across the draw, they were both calling to each other. I was bugling at them. Well, the the bull walked right across broadside at 35 yards. I stopped him with a cow call, and by the time he turned his head, the arrow was already on its way. And uh he it 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 hit right in the sweet spot and he went fifty yards and toppled over. And I wasn't quite sure what to do at that point because this this he ended up he ended up, I mean, he ended up scoring north of 345 which to me was like the biggest thing in the world I was oh I, yeah I, I couldn't believe it um, spent the rest of the day getting him out I mean you know the story there I didn't have far to go it was only a couple of miles back to the truck but it was up the up the side of the valley and then down the other side and the, the biggest issue was uh, there were about 48 million yellow jackets that were swarming the carcass the second I opened him up uh, amazingly. They were more interested in the meat than me, and I didn't get stung at all, which was, you know, just icing on the cake. But ultimately, pretty unbelievable experience. And you know, for all the guys out there that get frustrated because they're not getting into animals or you know their hunts not quite, quite, quite going the way they want, I tell you, you just give it five seconds and it'll change. And if you're not, if you're not ready to go, you can miss it. And you know, if any, if I take anything away from that experience, it was that. You got to stay on your game because the minute your mind starts to wander, something's going to happen.
2: And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran-owned and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or – picking up maybe some swag ready to drinks or check out that new flying elk roast flavor use the discount code elk shape and that'll save you 15 percent also kufaru international this is the backpack of choice for elk hunters i use the hoodlum or the 44 mag you guys need to check out kufaru international if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain head over to kufaru.net to learn more we're also brought to you by onyx hunt the number one hunting gps app i've pretty much gone away from using an old school gps obviously i still carry like an inreach but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the onyx this is the fastest downloading offline maps out there as well as the most resilient bulletproof not gonna crash on you when you need it most i run tracking most days while elk hunting and i found onyx to be the most reliable hunting gps app out there check it out today and finally baku e-bikes these are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters this is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting checking your tree stand trail cams getting in and out quietly i rock the mule use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. Yeah, staying staying present, staying in the game, uh, instead of just walking down the trail, kicking rocks, feeling sorry for yourself, having that pity party. That's usually when that magical five seconds materializes. Um, as cliche as it is, and honestly, um, I know myself, we've all been there where you know you basically squandered maybe one of your only opportunities. And uh, after some reps and some experience, you begin to appreciate elk hunting as one big grind. And you, you just keep grinding harder when the chips get down and they will be down almost majority of the time. So if you're not ready for emotional roller coaster, you might want to find a new pastime. Uh, elk hunting is not for anyone who's fragile. I'll say it that way. You can't be fragile or soft in the elk woods. And if you are, um, and you're not sure if you are, <laughs> you'll find out. Uh, that's really cool, man. Like way to take advantage, way to set a standard an expectation, way to ha- like define what success means to you, and stick to your guns. You earned that bowl and, you know, good on you. And then you weren't even done with your season. So let's carry on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, that night I pretty much worked all night. I took the, um, I, I, ran the, I ran the rack down to a taxidermist in Chino, Arizona, uh, got the coolers packed with meat, um, Packed up camp, got up at four in the morning, and ran from Flagstaff all the way up to Pocatello, Idaho, where I dropped off all of the elk meat. I called ahead and found a butcher that was actually willing to take take me in because, I mean, most of them were so slammed with um, guys buying full cows for beef because at the time there was a, a shortage due to yeah, COVID. yeah. I mean, if you're in the butcher business, you had a great year and, and those guys are basically like, yeah, we, we just don't, we can't take you in. It'll be three weeks before we get to it. Well, I needed somebody that could turn around in three or four days because I had another Montana big game combo and was supposed to meet my buddy Dylan in uh, Southwest Montana to, to chase bugles. And I had a whole nother week to do it because I punched my tag in Arizona, you know, in a week. So, um, Dropped off the elk meat. Guy said, "You just let me know when you're on your way back. I'll have it ready." Uh, ran up to ran up to our spot in Montana. Got in late at night. Um, we uh, I, I basically pulled in in the middle of a na- pretty nasty rainstorm. It it blew on us all night. In fact, we we almost lost our tent. We lost a few tent stakes. At one point, I you know, as 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 we would normally be getting up to go hunting, I was like, "I'm just going to need the morning." to, to kind of gather myself. Yep. (laughs) So we uh, we took the time to pick a more secure camp and, you know, get basically settle in and get ready for the week. uh, So we can hunt hard and not have to worry about camp camp chores and um, you know, packed in that night um, just to kind of get the lay of the land. I mean, we, 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 uh, we didn't necessarily expect to get into much, it's pretty cold. By the time we got up to elevation, it's actually snowing on us. Um, and so we kind of laid low, did some calling, just tried to kind of see what was about. Um, ended up coming back out that night. And then, uh, the next day, uh, went back in, we got up in the morning, uh, we glassed some elk, but just couldn't quite get on them. And then about, I don't know, mid afternoon, I I, we, I can't remember if it was Dylan or I, but one of us glassed a cow way up above a rock scree field um, and decided to just, you know, get up there and get after it. And we because we, we just figured, look, like lone cow this time of year, there's a herd in there somewhere. So we got up there and sure enough, um, there was a, a really nice herd bull, a bunch of satellites. I called for Dylan um, really really, with the intent of either trying to get the bull to come in or keep him distracted so Dylan could stalk in. D- he got close. I mean, he almost closed the deal. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we just ran out of daylight. So backed out, hiked back down the mountain in the dark, uh, and then ended up getting back to camp. Next morning, um, we decided to try a different spot. Um, and so we went into a different canyon. And I mean, right off the bat, there were there were elk on the. I mean, literally, elk on the trail, a couple two and a half miles in, and not another human being in sight. So we shadowed that herd for the majority of the day, and you know, they were just restless. Like we just kept the wind right, and we just you know stayed close and stayed close and stayed close. You know, not not trying to rush the issue, um, and eventually an opportunity presented itself, and. Uh, Dylan uh took advantage of a, a cow that had wandered off from the herd and, and took a shot and bagged his bagged his first elk, uh, which I was thrilled to see. I mean that's
2: so cool to be there for that, man.
1: I wish I'd had a camera because like I was standing on a cliff above him and had like watched him draw, saw the elk standing there, like the whole thing played out in front of me. Um, you know, as if it was a you know hunting show, but Unfortunately, I didn't have a camera and, but you know, I've got that memory, which is, which is awesome. So yeah, Dylan, it was in an avalanche chute. So Dylan, we literally rolled the cow down the mountain and, uh, he started working on her down at the bottom of the avalanche chute, right, right, right near the trail. And I decided to go back up the hill and, and chase after the bull, um, we ended up getting pretty close, you know, again, just being pretty conservative. I mean, this herd, like I said, they were just restless and I don't know if they were skittish or whatever, but they just never really settled down and went to bed. They just kind of were moving around the mountain all day. Um
2: They just wouldn't chill. They wouldn't. Yeah, sleep. they
1: would. They just wouldn't lay down. And I, I mean, we kept the wind right. I don't think it was us because if it was us, they just would have blown it out of there. But it's also late in the season. I mean, it's Montana. They've been chased now for three or four weeks. So, I mean, we were calling a little bit. So, my sense is they probably were just nervous. Um, and so, anyway, I got – I got at one point, I think I was within 20, 25 yards of the bull. It was super brushy, so I never really got eyes on them until later. I was headed – I basically uh, decided to back out and we were just going to come back the next day and try again on that same herd, knowing we hadn't blown them out. Um, so I was headed back to the avalanche shoot where Dylan was at. Had look over across and 80 yards across from me standing out there in the wide open is a bull. And he was, he was a good bull. He was not as big as the Arizona bull, but I mean, big swords, big fronts, nice thirds. I mean, he, 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 he was a bull that uh, I think anybody would have been, would have been proud to have. Um I of course did not take a shot because that's a pretty long distance and um I wanted to come back the next day and try to get a better opportunity and so just enjoyed the moment and um you know decided to give another shot the next day. So I walked down the hill and uh we packed we backed we packed Dylan's cow out. Um we didn't you know we would have a long way to go, but we were able to get it in one trip, uh which is always nice. Um couple miles back to the truck. And we took our packs off and I actually popped a tab on a Coors light and heard a bugle across the canyon from where <laughs> we were standing with, I don't know, probably an hour of daylight left.
2: <laughs> so no regrets. Right? That,
1: I looked at Dylan and he goes, you need to put that beer down and get your ass over there right now. Oh, that's so a good
2: hunting partner right there. Oh, man.
1: So, so I, I didn't even take my pack. I, I just grabbed my bow. My release and my rangefinder, and ran down the side of the canyon down the trail, ran up the other side the whole time Dylan's calling from the parking lot so he's he's talking to the bull the bull's calling back, so I didn't have to make a peep. I was able to just pinpoint the bull because of Dylan's calls and move in on the herd silently. when was right um, I get you know sneaking up the mountainside. I can see the cows in front of me. I thought I was going to get nailed because a mule deer walked within about seven yards of where I was standing. And I thought she was going to cross downwind of me and blow the whole thing up. But for whatever reason, she didn't, she turned back uphill. Um, I never saw the bull. He, for whatever reason was bugling right with the rest of the herd. And then I heard him about 500 yards down Canyon. I have no idea what happened. Uh the rest of the herd stayed put. So I don't again, I don't think we blew him out of there. I think he just for whatever reason decided he was gonna go walk about. Yep. But um, you know, D- Dylan had gotten his cow and I was just right in the middle of these elk feeding, and a cow decided to feed out in front of me. And she walked, you know, I don't know, it was probably 25 yards. And I just I was like, look, I, I've been gone from home for nearly 12 days. I got a bull cow meat tastes really good. So we're just going to, we're just going to go ahead and, and and get a double today and get this thing done. (laughs) So, so I, uh, I drew let the arrow go. She went 25 yards pass through again, perfect pass through shot. Um, And we ended up, it took us till about one to get her all cut up and packed out. Uh, Went back to camp cooked up some backstrap at, uh, two in the morning, finished that course light and went to bed. And that was the end of my elk season last year. And I have zero complaints about that. It was un believable.
2: Yeah. It's tough to beat, especially like obviously the Arizona really kind of maybe once in a lifetime tag, maybe. And, uh, Doing it proper, which you did, which I tip my hat to you, and then doing the double with a good hunting partner who says, "Dude, put that beer down, go chase that bugle." Um, yeah, you guys are you guys are worse than wolves. That's awesome. Uh, so what do you have planned for this year? Now that you well, well, before we go to this year, we got to back up. So, dude, you changed careers, and you you it, it required a big move from Camas, Washington-ish area to denver colorado area ish tell us what what's what's the exciting news what's the big job change
1: yeah um so like i said i started in the fitness industry in 2003 i've been working for uh nautilus inc um for basically the the you know my entire career i've been in the commercial fitness equipment space um worked with a number of different brands, Nautilus, Schwinn, Stairmaster, Throwdown, Star Trek. Uh, and, you know, I, I ended up um, as I'd, I'd had a job as vice president of operations for the then, you know, parent company, Core Health and Fitness, which was, you know, more or less a family of brands selling commercial equipment to commercial health clubs. Um, but, you know, I'd been doing it for a long time. And and I, I'd kind of gotten to a point where it was like, it's not that I was bored, because I mean, look, I had a fantastic team that I loved working with every single day. Great people that I still keep in touch with on a daily basis. Um, love, love the industry, love the commercial fitness space. Um, you know, we serve served a little bit of a different market than CrossFit. In fact, I'd heard of CrossFit when it first started, and those of us in the you know the big box gym world were all hoping it would eventually just go away. Of course, I learned first front and center why it didn't. Um, but, you know, it was just time. It was time for me to do something different. I wanted to stay in the space, um, it, it, you know, something I'm passionate about. And right right before I had to leave from Arizona, I was scrolling, I think, through my LinkedIn feed. And this job pops up, you know, rep fitness, uh, strength and conditioning, fitness equipment, e-commerce business. Denver Colorado uh chief operating officer job and my immediate reaction I was like this must be clickbait I this there's no possible way my dream job that exists in a dream state you know I moved to Washington from Colorado and had always kind of had an eye on figuring out how to get back but it had to be for the right reasons for the right job and um clicked on it read the job description it was like this is this is this is it so one thing led to another. Ended up having conversations with the owners, and of course, a couple couple of great guys who you know founded the business back in 2012. Uh, we've been on the Inc. Uh, Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies in the United States list for two years. Uh, this year, I think we're in the top 1,000, just shy of top 1,000 fastest growing businesses. Um, And yeah, I mean, it worked out. We were able to uh, come to terms and I uh, started with, I left Core Health and Fitness on December 11th, 2020, and started with Rep Fitness on December 14th, 2020 uh, in Denver, Colorado. And so we, um, you know, had a little time to move, you know, still still kind of in the heat of COVID, but um, over the next six months, you know, made the appropriate plans and, Sold our house in Camas and bought a place here uh, in Conifer, Colorado, and we just, you know, we literally just moved. We've been here about I don't know five six weeks. We moved. We moved over Fourth of July weekend. Um, I took that week off and, you know, piled the piled the family into a big long caravan and we drove down here and here we are.
2: There you are. Yeah. So quite the change. Um, Denver. Good area for sure. Very beautiful. Bigger mountains. More elk. More opportunities. Coming from Washington, as you know. um, Yeah. It's just... We won't even go into the Washington... It's not the Washington State Shitty Elk Hunting Podcast. There's still elk here. It's just tough. It's just tough the way they manage it. But that's not this... That's not the podcast. So I guess we got to talk about rep fitness a little bit. Um, So mainly... Outfitting fun- like functional fitness spaces is that is that the gist? Yeah, we
1: so what we specialize in is uh, really really strength and conditioning equipment, high quality, high value. Our customer service is unbelievable, and we're focused on the garage gym space. Um, you know, we we want to be be able to provide an economical solution for the 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 folks out there that don't want to deal with the hassle of going to a gym that want to train in their garage or in their home, any room in their home doesn't have to be their garage, of course. Um, but but get get a real workout with real results. Whether that's powerlifting or Olympic lifting or you know CrossFit or something along those lines, we service all of that. Um, and and that's really that's really what we do. Um, our, our products are rock solid. Um, you know, we're using 11 gauge steel, which is the same gauge steel that is used in commercial fitness equipment manufacturing. So, I mean, our products, even though they're focused on consumers are well beyond the requirements of what you would see in full commercial facilities. So, um, it's a great company and, and a ton of fun, uh, growing fast and, um, you know, we're going to head, we're going head to head with some of the big guys out there. And, uh, I think we all know who they are,
2: That's uh, which, awesome. makes it,
1: which, which makes it even, over, you know, I kind of yeah. like an under, you know, a l- little bit of an underdog approach. Um, but you know, we're, we're, we're coming. So it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty exciting.
2: Yeah. Underdog makes the world go around. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm curious to know your vibe on home gym stuff, because Here's the truth, man. Like, so when I owned a CrossFit gym for over a decade, like anytime a member would be like, start investing in equipment for their garage gym, it was either one or two scenarios. The most common was like, um, okay, you're basically buying equipment because you're going to cancel your membership eventually and work out at home. And my thought was, can't wait to buy your equipment from you when you realize that you're not disciplined enough to work out at home. Um, That was truthfully like my... Yeah, I just, and it was, I was usually right. Like, you know, they'd load up on some gear, try it out for a few months, and then they'd come back chubbier and say, uh, do you want to buy any of this workout equipment? I'd be like, yeah, I do. Uh, the other would be like people that are just like diehard trying to get to the CrossFit games and compete. And they, they want to train, you know, every day that ends with Y, And so they would add, they'd want to do double days and stuff like that. And I understood that. And we had quite a few people do that. So when I sold my CrossFit gym, there was no COVID. And at first, um, when I sold the gym, I pulled quite a bit back and said, this, this equipment's not included in the sale. This is going to be like my garage gym stuff. Because I knew I was going to start working from home. And long story longer is um, initially I hated working out of my garage. I missed the people and competing Um, but as elk shape continued to really grow and my kids started getting older and older, I realized that the 20 minutes to the gym and the 20 minutes back plus some socialization is about, I'll round up for a nice smooth number, about an hour of not working out time, but just being gone time that seemed to add it up five, six days a week. And I was still going to the gym at crack of the dawn, um, but honestly, something had to give. And so I really started like backing off on going every day. And then I started only going like meeting my group of guys, like maybe once or twice a week. And eventually that led to, I don't remember the last time I've been to the gym. Um, and so it's come down to just, I'm too dang busy to squander five hours a week of not working out time and driving and socializing so plus the other 5 hours of training that's 10 hours a week I could I could walk out to my garage at any given time during the day when it's convenient and go do go win the day and get right back on the horse and and continue on so it really doesn't interrupt my day and then the other thing man I got to tell you this is with the covid stuff I can't do crossfit with a mask on I I can't even imagine trying that that just that just doesn't make sense to me. I don't want to breathe through a straw when I'm like doing thrusters and pull-ups. Well, I I
1: could share your uh, opinion there. I had a little bit of experience, you know, in Washington, our gym owner was basically able to create an environment that he called an outdoor space, which really meant he opened his garage doors, all of them to the, to the extent that there was enough airflow that if anybody ever asked, it was close enough to being outside. So You know, early COVID, we were working out in 29-degree weather because that was what 5 a.m. looked like at the gym with the garage doors open. And I thought it was awesome because at the end of the day, some days in the Elkwoods, it's way colder than 29 degrees. So, you know, might as well get used to it. Colorado, on the other hand, the gym I was going to when I was traveling here, um, yeah, I mean, statewide mask mandates. That was the only way they could stay open. And so, yeah, I... I tried that whole workout with a mask thing and uh, eventually found a solution that kind of worked, but it was every bit as awful as you, as you mentioned. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think you, you, I mean, where you're going is like, what do you, what do you, what does this look like going forward? Is that, is that kind of where you're? Yeah. Yeah. I think that to your point, I mean, COVID changed, I think many people's mindsets on what working out from home looked like. I mean, you're, you're talking about an industry that for years uh, was defined as, you know, I want to work out. I go to the gym. It takes the amount of time that you mentioned it takes. You've got, you know, even in big box gyms, you've, you've, you've got time to get there, change in the locker room, do your workout, socialize, leave, go home. You know, that, that is, that is what it was, largely defined as um, resisted digital resisted technology is a part of that solution for years. I mean, I, I have not seen an industry resist technology like the commercial fitness industry did uh, until COVID hit. Well, when COVID hit that, you know, the, the folks that were able to stay open and operate were forced to pivot and be able to offer services Two people that couldn't leave their homes, whether that's Zoom programming through apps, phone calls from personal trainers to people that were, you know, trying to figure out what a home program would look like. The ones that, the ones that survived, I mean, statistically, something like 30% of commercial health clubs closed during COVID and they haven't come back. It's estimated that most of them will stay closed.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so, people adapted and changed. And I think the reality is that two things have happened. One, the ability to get the same level of results that you would otherwise perceive you could get from a, you know, a commercial facility, you can now get at home um, through a number of different forums. But you can you can get that result at home. The quality of equipment is way better than you know what it was in the 80s and 90s when when you were you know if you wanted to do that you were looking at buying a single product likely from an infomercial um and you know in my mind the entire i mean the entire trend is more towards being able to do in your home what you could once do in a commercial health club with all without all the without all the hassle all that said, I don't think it's a zero sum game. I think that, you know, in other words, did consumer rise because commercial fell? And will consumer fall when commercial rises again after this is all said and done? I don't think so. I think ultimately the awareness of the importance of fitness and no matter where you where you do it or how you do it, it's I, I think people are starting to realize that, you know the, the secret to a long life is maintaining activity. Like you have to be active. You have to continue, um, you know, to, to make yourself fit. Uh, and you know, it's no secret that a lot of the issues for those who, who unfortunately did get sick and succumb to COVID, uh, had, had other issues, um, in a lot, in a lot of cases related to metabolic health. So, I don't think it's a zero sum game. I think that the awareness is raised and I think what, I think, I think where we'll end up is uh, with a heightened, um, you know, home fitness environment. Uh, And in some cases in combination with a gym, like if I look at myself, I have a, I have a home gym. I have a rack in my garage. I have plenty of weight. Um, And, and at the same time, I still go to my CrossFit gym as well because it's between here and the office and I have to come to the office anyway. So and I think that's probably where it'll land. It'll be a hybrid solution that's, you know, partially supported by digitization, as well as, um, you know, the ability and the awareness now that you can do the same thing at home and, and even get better results with less time than you, you know, than you could, you know, conceivably have to go to a, a commercial health club to get
2: prior. Yeah, man. And uh, you know, if you got little ones at home, especially. Or if you're just chocked full of excuses, you can eliminate them. Uh, let's get through. Let's just get through kind of a prescription um, from a home sh- a home gym hierarchy, um, and this is just your narrative. This doesn't mean it's Rep Fitnesses, uh, but this is like John Little's. Let's give you. Uh, you got five pieces of equipment. You got a thousand bucks, maybe for the first couple items. Set aside. Um, what's What's the go to?
1: Uh, well, f- for me, it's a um, probably a stall mat for two, yes, which you can get for you know, call it 100 bucks for two. Uh, I would have a 50 pound dumbbell, I would have a plyo box 24 uh, by 20 by 30 that you can build yourself out of a you know, what used to be a $50 sheet of plywood, it's now 100 bucks, but nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless a single sheet of plywood and some screws um i would try to get a a, a mono a monostructural machine uh whether that's a rower uh a, a bike um you know a salt bike or a uh you know concept two or whatever um just just because you know i mean you can certainly run um but some people you know, some people that's hard in their joints. So I'd get, I would have a monostructural machine, probably a rower.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and then I would, I mean, you could probably fit a rack into that if it's a lower cost rack, I, I you know, you're going to, you're going to want, um, I, I mean, I think you could fit a rack in, of course, then you need a barbell and weights. And I think that's where the cost starts to add up. But I think those probably first four or five pieces, a plow box, 50-pound dumbbells, stall mats, and a monostructural machine, you know, and a pull-up bar. That would be the fifth piece. You get a wall-mounted pull-up bar. Because with with those five pieces of, uh, of equipment, you can absolutely destroy yourself. I mean, you don't even really need those five pieces of equipment. You can destroy yourself with body weight. Yeah. But – um it, that I, I I mean that was what I started with when we pivoted to you know using doing Zoom workouts at home. I mean, our coach at our our head coach and program at our gym programmed soul crushing workouts with very simple pieces of equipment, much of which were surrounding the five pieces that I just mentioned.
2: Yep. Yep. Sup- super simple yet effective, which is the name of the game. Yeah, man. I love it. So, I can't announce too much yet with Rep, but we're going to be trying to figure out a way to work with Rep more at Elk Shape uh, just because we do promote kind of a garage gym lifestyle. Um, the name Elk Parking is just a spin off of some Miranda Oldroyd and her, well, I don't know her new, what's her new last name? Miranda. Anyways, Street Parking, great name. They came out with that garage gym style. Many, many years ago, I think they, before they were even working with rep and I always, I've known her, I've competed alongside her a handful of times way back, uh, way back when. And, um, I, I noticed that she pivoted really, really well from working for CrossFit HQ to doing this own thing. And they were creating this great community of people that just wanted the same programming, wanted a way to scale it up and do it at home. And they did it so well with like you, I would recommend people check it out streetparking.com and they have great options for folks to, man, to, to scale a workout where you're at with what you have. And they do, They, I mean, they go above and beyond really do like, um, I wouldn't want their job, but, uh, when they came out with that, I was like, well, I'm calling my gym elk parking. Uh, I'm not parking in the street per se. I'm parking in my driveway, but I ain't parking in my garage anymore. Because that's my little uh, pain cave. And uh, that's really cool. But now that I'm basically going to build a park back in the garage because we build a shop in our backyard. And the shop's not a shop. Like You won't see a bunch of stuff in there besides just rep fitness equipment. And uh, we're working with rep quite a bit on this build because I want it to be pretty sexy. But I also want it to be pretty relatable in that uh, rudimentary things, dumbbells, a barbell, a pull-up bar, a squat rack, things that you just said, a plow box, you know, sure. I'd love to have your like crossover machines and all that cool stuff. But for me, I, it doesn't really serve the elk shape community to do a bunch of workout programs around that kind of stuff. Um, and so I can't wait to do that. Um, of course the equipment's probably going to arrive while I'm gone hunting. So I told my wife, We'll leave the garage gym as is for now. Wait till I get back. Cause you know, I'm going to film every square inch of the build and do it right on YouTube and all the social platforms. So yeah, I'm pretty excited, man, to, to finally get the final pieces put together with rep.
1: Yeah, we are too. Uh, we're extremely excited. Um, I'm, you know, it's, it's quite an honor to be associated with your brand and, um, you know, elk shape, obviously is near, near and dear to my heart, made a, made a big impact on my life, my hunting success, my fitness success. And, and, you know, as you always say, you leverage elk hunting to, to become a better version of yourself. And I think that, um, at least for me, that's played out exactly how I'd want it to. And, and I hope that through our partnership going forward, um, we, you know, we can continue to spread that because it's, uh, you know, if you do it right and you're disciplined and you focus on putting in the work I and mean, you have to put in the work and it's not easy, you've got to be committed and you got to get it back to it every single day, mostly when you don't want to.
2: Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. But, that thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that thing. But, but you know, if you, if you do that, if you put in the work, put in the time, um, you know, hard work pays off. And, and, uh, I think, I think our two brands are very closely, uh, aligned on that theme and it's going to be, it's going to be awesome to work together.
2: Yeah, I am too, man. I'll close with this. Cause I know I got to go. I worked with a different company. I'm not going to say their name, but there's not that many gym equipment manufacturers out there. And I was like, okay, these guys are going to get elk shape. And when I talked to the owner This was a while ago, man. This was maybe two years ago. He looked at me and he said, the gist of it was, you know, that's cool, but I don't think hunters are willing to buy my equipment and put it in their garage. Uh, We make equipment for the Lakers, and I just don't see hunters willing to invest in our equipment. And I argued with him on the phone. I was like, you know, I've seen hunters go down to the archery shop and buy a $2,000 carbon bow without even batting an eye. And then they're going to slap 1000 bucks worth of accessories and arrows. And they're going to buy whatever tag they can get their hands on. I don't even want to know what I've spent on hunting this year when it comes to just tags and licenses and gear. You know what I mean? I And so it was really a deflating conversation because I thought this gentleman would really get like elk shape is about blue collar public land elk hunting and we blue collar guys, if we see value uh, that's going to enhance not only our next season, but maybe extend how many seasons we get to experience in this go round, we'll invest. And so I like rep because your specialty, like your focus is not outfitting the Lakers. It's outfitting us blue collar brethren trying to cut our teeth and build these garage gyms and the shipping being free, super handy. I know for 11, 12 years, I bought equipment from your competition and I don't even want to know how much I spent in freight over the last 12 years alone just to get that equipment to the box. So the free shipping and the, the affordable pricing, I'm, I'm excited. There's more to come. I don't want to share any more on this topic because I want to kind of save it, but I'm really excited, John. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, yeah, I... I... Couldn't be more excited, quite frankly. All right, last but not least, man. What's your hunt plans this year?
1: Uh, a couple things. I mean, I, with the move and everything, and you know, focused on the job, uh, which is those are the those were the two priorities really for the years. You know, at the, at the, at the top of the list, I didn't have a lot of time to scout. Fortunately, I did live in Colorado for a period of time and did hunt here, although with a rifle, um, not hunting with a rifle gonna bow hunt but i'm gonna go back to some of the same areas that i uh that i'd had success in with a rifle before i know them generally know what they elk do don't need to spend a ton of time scouting um and you know it'll be weekenders sort of like what i used to do in Oregon uh and then uh middle of the month I'm headed back to Montana I was fortunate enough to three years in a row draw another big game combo up there so I hate you yeah, yeah. well I hear, <laughs> I hear that a lot a uh, lot but I'm gonna head up and meet up with Dylan um and we're going to head back to where we've had so much success before and then at the same time uh spread out and try to try a few new areas as well so should be a pretty good season um interested to see I'm interested to experience the you know the kind of the the changed Colorado and I, I don't know what bow hunting was like 15 year here here 15 years ago cuz I was a rifle hunter I right. do know as a rifle hunter I hunted second rifle and it was crowded very crowded. So I you know I'm interested to see how that works. Um, I hear all sorts of horror stories but then I also hear some positive things mostly from guys that are willing to put in the work, get off the beaten path, go wherever the people won't go, and do what it takes to find the elk and that's exactly what I plan to do. so we'll see.
2: Well best of luck to you John. Thanks for taking the time today man and sharing your story. super powerful. We'll be in touch. I want to do an after-action podcast after this year. I want to go back into the topic of rep, but I want to also finish strong with how you guys did in Montana and kind of do like a, a debrief because uh, I know you are going to try some sniff out some new country too, which is like a whole another topic I want to cover for elk hunters. Is, is the, uh, yes, you can go back to your old haunts where you've had success, but each year that you do go back, you have to expand on that area and add more pieces to the puzzle. So that'll be that topic. We'll get back on the horn and we'll do it right.
1: Sounds great, Dan.
2: Awesome. Guys, as you're listening to this, you're probably wrapping up September. Make sure you hit it hard the last few days. Hunt your hardest on the last day as you would on the first. Separations, then the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. That was a fun listen. John, thanks for coming on. I know you're busy... He's, uh, he's the COO, of Rep Fitness, there in Denver. So he's uh, he knows operations, obviously, and he knows his way around the Elkwoods, and he knows how to never give up. I liked a lot of things he said there. Uh, we'll have him back on. We'll do a podcast on how to go back to the same haunts and expand your knowledge on certain areas, and we'll find out how he did this year in Colorado for the first time in many years and then also in Montana. So great podcast. Appreciate you, John. You're a good dude. Buck Knives USA. I'm skinning elk out with Buck Knives. I uh, used to use Havalons uh, last year, 2020. I was on my last quarter of a Wyoming bull that I killed solo. I was cutting it up solo. It was definitely close to midnight. And on my last quarter cut, I put a Havalon all the way into my hand, in my bow hand, deep. And being a former, you know, first responder and and having some of that education and, and seeing blood and seeing some some horrible things back when I used to be a firefighter a little bit, I immediately pulled that knife out, just put pressure on it, grabbed a game bag, didn't even reach into my first aid kit, and I hauled ass out of the mountains, left everything, my bow, my backpack, uh, the bull and made it back to my dad's camp. I remember waking him up at about two in the morning, and uh, he helped bandage me up, clean it out. I felt... I felt basically like a little bit like I was going in shock just because I was exhausted, I was fatigued, I had lost a lot of blood, and uh, I don't know, man, I remember sitting there in his camper as he was cleaning out the wound, and I didn't know if I was going to puke or crap down my leg, and I ended up just passing out. Uh, With the help of a good friend and horses, we got that elk out of the mountain, which was great, and uh, I made it to the ER room. And they they threatened to have hand surgery, but I convinced them just to to stitch it up. Uh, $800, $700 later, they stitched it, and I was on my way. And it healed just enough time for me to get over to Montana and kill my third bull last year. If you don't remember, that's what happened. So just be safe with those Havilons. Um... I'm pretty good with the Like I don't break blades. I know how to use them really well. I've cut up a lot of animals, but they're just too damn sharp for my clumsy ass. And so I like a fixed blade. I like an actual skinny knife uh, from Buck Knife and a 110. They got so many options out there. Check them out, plus support them. They're legendary. They've been in business forever, and I'm so stoked to work with them. They're a neighbor of mine. I literally live 15 minutes away from HQ. Super awesome company and just great people spy point Trail cameras been using them all season long uh it's not uncommon for me to put a trail camera in my backpack and leave it out there if i find something cool and i don't even care if i get it that year or or the years to follow i like I have cameras sprinkled everywhere. I put them up really high. I use a little HME tool, Hunting Made Easy tool. I think they're like eight bucks off Amazon. And I screw trail cameras. I climb trees like 15, 20 feet up and point them down. I've just had so many stolen. I found that to be the best. And uh, yeah, so a lot of trail camera action. I also use the cell phone ones. I use the app. Check out Spy Point, They're super affordable, and they support the podcast. Numa Outdoors came out with their new stuff for 2021 just in the nick of time. I got my shipment just before I left Spokane, so I've been wearing a lot of the new stuff and testing, and that's what they hired me to do is to test gear and give them honest, real feedback. They support blue-collar elk hunters. They're a bow-hunting company, and they're not a marketing company, so I love Numa. If you want a discount code, I have one, Elkshape20, take 20% off. Palisade Puffy is out. I think I would add that to your arsenal, Uh, the Pursuit Pant for sure, and their base layers. Onyx, I've tried other companies. Onyx has been out in the game longer than anybody, and I think that they also have bug-free app. So I'm using my phone on airplane mode all day. I'm running tracking. I'm checking out waypoints. I have offline maps that I downloaded prior to leaving. I'm never, ever on the side of the road trying to download more maps. I just download the entire unit or neighboring units just so I have – Everything on my phone, and uh, Onyx is a huge supporter of Elk Shape. If you want to get the elite membership, have all 50 states. Discount code is Elk Shape. Take 20% off uh, right now. Matthews might have sent me a 22 bow. I might be using one, a prototype in the off season doing proving ground. I might not be, but I love Matthews. I love what they stand for, and the V3 31 is my favorite bow. I think they've ever made, and uh, I can't say anything else about this uh, other thing, but. Uh, I'm very excited for the launch date in November of the 2022 bow. Black Rifle Coffee Company. Discount code is Elkshape. Take 15% off. Join the coffee club. Get a coffee mug. Support veterans. Support blue collar. Support dudes that support 2A. Support dudes that are legit and are bow hunters themselves. If you like coffee like I do, try the Flying Elk Roast. You won't be disappointed. Kufaru International, uh, a 22 mag, 44 mag hoodlum. Their frame is better than anyone else's, period, and uh, I stand by that. Check out Kufaru. Aaron Snyder owns it now. Uh, Shipping dates have sped up, and it's never too late to upgrade. Be on the lookout for an elk-shaped training pack. I think we're doing something like that. I'm not supposed to leak that, but I did. Crispy USA. Man, this whole season I've been really, really fond of the brick stalls. And the Colorados. Uh, I started uh, just last week wearing the guides because it got colder. And I just – my all-time favorite crispy boot is the guides, period. Uh, But check out Crispy. They're super affordable and no break-in, period, no joke. Vortex Optics out of Wisconsin, veteran-owned company, proudly American as well. They have the VIP warranty, which is transferable. No questions asked. if If you break it, they'll fix it. End of story. Uh, 10 by 42 UHDs is my go-to. Razer 4000 laser rangefinder. It's got angle compensation. It's got all the things. The Furies for uh, if you want to do some ballistics, and I like applied ballistics. I do have a bang stick now that can shoot out pretty far, so that's what I use for that. And uh, Vortex wear. I wear a lot of their clothing for working out. It's crazy, right? So discount code is OakShape. Twenty percent off Vortex wear. Check it out. Scouting it. Training it. You'll love it. Wilderness Athlete, arguably the most wholesome supplement company out there, designed by a strength and conditioning coach, Mark Paulson, and his team. Uh, Love that. They're very family-oriented. A lot of the family works there. Chris Denham, his daughter, his son, uh, Kevin Guillen, all those folks at Wilderness Athlete, they support. They're not a marketing company. They are a supplement company, and they preach like Solid Nutrition and Backfilling with Supplements, Hydrate Recover, Energy Focus, Green Formulas, Midnight Build, uh, Multivitamins, the good stuff. Discount code is Elkshape30. Take 30% off your first purchase. Check them out. And last but not least, we got sheep feet for your boots. Discount code is Elkshape10% off. Stowaway Gourmet. Elk10 will take 10% off. Northwest Retention Systems for your chest holster. Elk Shape will take 10% off no shipping and handling. That's what I got for you guys. September's almost over. Squeeze all the juice out of it. Be safe. Give all glory to God. We'll catch you on the next one.